realizing that I didn't have to make this generalized work, it was really satisfying to just focus in on that story in particular and pick out these moments or keep looking throughout history where my perceptions of like memories or my personal narratives just seem to mirror or mimic these moments throughout history. And I started creating these maps inspired by like some of the paths that St. Patrick's Battalion would have taken, grew into this idea of making maps to find my way home, where I would like just kind of draw these like geographical markers. But again, it's not like a very accurate map, I guess. If anyone tried to follow it, they'd be very lost. But these markers that don't only show parts of a physical landscape, but like these cultural landmarks, I guess, or these icons that are so specific to Mexican or Chicano families, but then also Irish families, and how there are so many moments where those connect and feel very similar. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 275th episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Eva Gabriela Flynn, who I spoke with from Las Cruces, New Mexico, where she currently lives and works. We talk all about her studio practice, her background growing up in New Mexico on the border. We talk a bit about the idea of dual identity and how that plays in her work, as Gabriela often traveled to Mexico to visit family, but lived in the U.S., and we talk a little bit about the idea of boundaries and borders within those relationships, and eventually how that found its way into some of her figurative paintings, exploring ideas of this dual identity, and of course, some of her later installation-based works. And we do talk extensively about her MA and MFA thesis exhibition. She graduated in 2021 from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I just want to note, she was one of our 2021 Studio Break student competition winners, selected by Kendra Balgren. So we're really excited to share her work and to talk all about it. So please stay tuned for that interview. Definitely take some time to check out her work. That's evagabriella.com. And of course, follow her on Instagram. That's at e.gflynn. If you are new to the podcast, I encourage you to check out studiobreak.com. We have a bunch of different interviews up there with different artists. Each of those posts there have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and you can listen right on Studio Break, or you can subscribe to the podcast, and that way you've always got something to listen to while you're working away in the studio. We are on social media, so be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And, of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those brief announcements, let's get right into this interview with Eva Gabriela Flynn. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Eva Gabriela Flynn, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to make a note real quick that you are one of our MFA competition winners for our competition last year, juried by Kendra Balgren. So super excited to have you on and, and to talk to you all about your work. So thanks again for applying and it's going to be exciting to kind of learn you know, more about you. So thanks again for, for applying. Oh yeah. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you to Kendra Balgren as well. Yeah. Well, I always like to start and learn all about your background. So you're originally from uh, New Mexico, where you're, where you're currently at. Is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, actually, technically not. I guess okay. I've moved around a lot, <laughs> but New Mexico has definitely been the place that I've called home the longest. Mm-hmm. But before then, I when I was very, very young, my family lived in Southern California. And, you know, even before then, I was born in Wyoming, I guess. So okay. all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. But you grew up primarily in like Las Cruces, is that right? Or Yeah, yeah, in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Any stories there? I'm sure there's got to be something. I mean, again, I've never been out there. I've heard about it, but I don't know why I just imagine it kind of tying into place, you know, relative to your work. There's this kind of almost like landscape-ish abstraction idea of place in your work. So I don't know why I just imagine you wandering around outside for hours with a compass or something. I don't know. Maybe not with like an actual compass, but I will <laughs> just like wander around the mountains every now and then. But it's had a huge impact in my work. Las Cruces, New Mexico is, well, in Southern New Mexico, it's very, very close to the border with Mexico. And it's such a unique region. 
the borderlands in general, it's almost like this microcosm of the rest of the world where we're having these giant forces or like two governments that are side by side next to each other. And you just get to see how those decisions that can feel very abstract when we think about like governments, but how those just shape very personal lives and how that can just be absolutely like life changing. Mm-hmm. I grew up in this with this like very dual identity or this uh, dual culture. My mother is originally from Mexico. My father was born in the United States on the East Coast, actually. So I just grew up constantly visiting two families or constantly crossing the border. And when I talk to people outside of their area, outside of this region, that seems like it's a very bizarre way to live where you're constantly crossing this militarized border mm-hmm. or sharing two cultures where like these boundaries start to blur so much that you're not sure if it's two cultures or one culture. But here in the border in the Southwest, it's very, very normal. And I think I used to take that for granted. And so recently that's really just shaped so much of my work as I lived outside of the Southwest for a while. I guess that distance allowed me to really think about the place or think about stories from Las Cruces, but also just the borderland regions in general. So yeah, it's absolutely shaped the work. And were you someone that was super creative growing up? Were you kind of always making things and and being interested in the arts or did you have other kind of talents and things that you kind of invested your time in or? I guess I was always very interested in making art. I was just always doodling, always painting, drawing more so than like other Mm -hmm. childlike activities, I guess. (laughs) I think I'm in hindsight pretty lucky that my parents encouraged that or maybe like once I got to college there were like conversations where it's like are you sure like is this sure (laughs) you really want to be an artist (laughs) but as a child I just remember always having access to to crayons markers paints and my parents being very very quick and willing to just let me tinker around and make anything with my hands was that something too where you had a lot of like experiences taking like art classes and stuff like that through grade school and and into high school? I remember elementary school starting out with being like very, very heavy on art classes. But I guess in the way budget cuts happen, I remember having less and less or access to art classes with like every passing year up until high school. Mm -hmm. But they were always there. In high school, the art program was pretty basic. But you know, those were the classes that I've always gravitated towards. So growing up, it was something that was definitely present. So in terms of like that high school experience, was that something then that you knew you wanted to kind of pursue like teaching or making artwork as a, as a living? Or was that something that was even on the horizon then? It was something that I absolutely knew that I wanted to pursue, but it didn't feel like something that I could, I guess, if that makes sense. I think, I mean, so many artists probably have had like similar experiences but we're just told like this is this is out of the range like being an artist is impossible like we're going to be starving etc that kind of thing so it's it was like very much the only thing that I ever consistently wanted to do or the only thing I can remember doing for, for or wanting to do for my whole life I guess but it just felt like it wasn't an option mm-hmm. so I would constantly take these art classes or just constantly doodle draw make these paintings in my spare time when I could but also just I guess not knowing how to make that a career or not even understanding that that was something I could really do mm-hmm. so I was constantly thinking of like well I guess what is similar to art or like what's a career I could make of that and I think in high school, especially any counselor will be like graphic design. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I, I don't think I'm very good at that, but <laughs> I can get by, I guess. Sure. I was thinking that the parts of art that interest me the most are at the time were just like the way that you could just think about these different human experiences. So in high school, I was thinking maybe psychology. Mm-hmm. What are these like sort of theoretical or professions where I could just talk to people and think about things or just think about these ideas that interest me. So I don't know, I guess I felt almost lost and just jumped around and thinking about what I wanted to do as I got older. But art was always the constant. And it wasn't until I got, I was in college where I had great professors or great mentors that I felt like 
a career in art could be possible, whether just by, you know, having a full studio practice or teaching art where you're still, you know, making work and just immersed in that world. So I guess that was it for me. You know, maybe tell us a little bit about that initial experience then. What, how did you start taking like all sorts of like foundational classes and then really kind of starting to see like a, a path forward in terms of, you know, pursuing something that was really kind of more towards the art focus as you're kind of describing? Yeah, definitely. The first art class I took um, at a college level or where I started to feel like maybe I could do something with this was um, just an introductory painting course. Mm-hmm. And the instructor, actually, his name is Chris Wilson. And I guess I really owe him a lot in hindsight thinking about it because I took the class just sort of for fun or I saw it as like an elective gen ed credit where I was thinking, well, I'll major something else in college. But throughout the time, throughout the whole way, I'll just keep taking art classes because I like it. But after a couple painting classes, this professor just told me like, you know, you could you could keep doing this if you like it. Why not? You're doing good. Like if this is what you want to study, just why not go for it? Why not do it? Mm-hmm. I think just having that push or having someone to just say like your life won't be ruined if you're an art major mm-hmm. in undergrad. So it's fine. <laughs> sure. Well, and nobody ever knows where that's going to wind up either. You know, as I was kind of like alluding to you, I mean, there's so many different hats that art people wear at this point in terms of getting their bills paid and even something like that. So I think it's so hard to kind of determine that. And there's all this pressure at such a young age when you don't really kind of know yet, you know, which is always why it's really exciting to be around all these people. Um, I would imagine then there were like other things that you're exposed to artists and, you know, things like that, that really kind of got you going too. Were there any things that kind of like stand out in, in your mind from that? You know, when you mentioned like wearing other hats, I think that's a something that I like about being able to, work in art is exactly that like I'm exposed to so many other artists who are also very involved in like other career fields or something or other projects Mm -hmm. I work as a as an interpreter sometimes um, like as a freelance interpreter I feel like it just adds as much to any kind of creative process as as anything else right learn so much from being around people that are completely separate from what we think of as like the art world Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's it feels so easy to be to feel really isolated, I guess, when we're only thinking about making work or just thinking about the art world in general. I always hear people talk about it as like it's its own separate bubble, mm-hmm. or at least when I think about it that way, it starts to get isolating where I forget that art can intersect with different other little bubbles out there or it's just one thing that's constantly connected were there were there artists that you started seeing that you started kind of thinking like oh wow i could do something like this or you know i didn't realize art could be this the first time i felt that just after in school thinking that this is something i could do i did look up to so many of the professors that i worked with mm-hmm. but my stepfather actually who passed away a few years ago Um, He was an artist. He was actually a draftsman for Boeing. So that was like, I guess, his major daytime job Mm -hmm. where he would just make these drawings that engineers would kind of describe to him. I think I'm not sure that's actually how his job worked. But when he left that job, he just took a lot of time to make his own creative work. And he made these beautiful, intricate watercolors of these desert landscapes or desert scenes. And he, he never like directly pushed me to do um, anything. I think he was like very good and always like not saying like, you should be an artist. Um, just letting me kind of come to that realization or come to that on my own. Mm-hmm. But I think just seeing, seeing him call himself an artist, seeing that it's something you could do, whether it's something that's part-time or something that consumes your life, just seeing that it's an option or something that real people do in real life was really inspiring. You know, as you kind of continued your studies in, in painting, I'm assuming, and other, you know, media like drawing and, and things like that, what kind of subjects became kind of interesting for you? I always find it interesting as you start off because, you know, you maybe make work that's really derivative and then you kind of slowly kind of catch your groove. But was there like a subject or theme that you were really kind of interested in investigating at the time in terms of your undergrad? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Um, I was really obsessed with any kind of figurative work for a, a long time. And I think at the time, I just felt like it was just the ultimate challenge to just create something as fluid as like the human form and render the body in a way that feels so realistic that you could just touch it on the canvas or that was something that I was really obsessed with. But I think the work that I'm drawn to most always feels like it has a narrative kind of um, storytelling quality. And I think that's something simply because I think that's just the way I understand the world maybe is just like through stories. And I use that in my work all the time, but anytime I see work that just makes me start thinking about a larger story or where an image is just part of a larger thread is really intriguing to me. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, there are these figurative elements in, in some of your work that's, you know, on your on your website, evagabriella.com. So people should definitely check that out. But was that something that, that kind of found your way, these narratives, these kind of figurative elements into your paintings for your like senior thesis, I'm assuming? Absolutely. I guess I was just interested in the the potential that these figurative images have. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at images from my BFA thesis, I guess, I guess now it's so it's almost like embarrassing to talk about work that's so that feels old now. I look mm-hmm. at it and I'm like, oh, why did I paint that? But it was really important. I think I still think about those themes. I come back to that all the time. So it, it shouldn't shouldn't be too embarrassing. But I just love the idea of the way that by sort of not really presenting the human body in full, but like in these segments or in these ways that feel like it was almost like this body that was existing in a liminal space, just to me felt like it conveyed a lot of the experiences that I felt growing up on the border and that maybe other people might've felt as well. But I like the idea of representing the figure in a way that was just psychological or narrative, I guess, but also balancing that with just the desire to just really wanting to learn how to paint and render things realistically, but combining that with some kind of abstraction, that was something that I was really interested in, I I guess has just still influenced my work today. Yeah. It's interesting to see that combination in that series, or at least that grouping of works, because you start kind of seeing elements that obviously are very recognizable. You'll see a foot, you'll see hands, you'll see you know, legs, but then they'll be kind of displaced or kind of isolated, fragmented within almost this kind of like, I don't know, ether, this, this landscape that you kind of then start to kind of fill in was that essentially the kind of like impetus about it in terms of like letting a viewer kind of recognize some of these elements and then almost kind of, you know, think about how they could generate a narrative about it. Absolutely. I think when I started working this way, it was just almost purely just figures kind of floating and something that felt very abstract, but I started adding more iconography in there or giving like a place for the figures to to land in. And that just sort of led back to an interest in not necessarily landscape, I guess, or the way that the way that we're used to seeing landscape paintings, but just uh, thinking about the relationship between like body and place or, um, you know, the, the way that these places shape our shape ourselves and how those things are just so completely intertwined. And I try to show that in my work where these like body and land is sort of meshed together in this story where you just absolutely can't separate or can't tell where like a mountain begins, but like a foot ends, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's something really cool too about the like abstract qualities of it because it kind of is this, kind of more playful side of things, but obviously you have these very recognizable elements, you know, if they're going to be fingers kind of floating in this field, but it's interesting to think about like the way that that could be more painterly in comparison to like something that might be more tight and controlled and, you know, really, you know, rendered, if that makes sense. While I was still in school, I always felt like it was on the fence about it where a lot of the people who would see my work, it's something we we came back to this discussion of, is should it be like completely loose? Um, is, is it something that I should like give into or should I just make the decision to tighten everything up and have something that feels much more rendered and real? But I'm not sure if that's always a good thing. I still have fun with it, but I just really love the duality or something that feels like it can exist in both worlds. And again, I think that just comes back to 
an upbringing where when you're living on the border or so close to the border, it very much feels like you can be a part of those two worlds. Mm -hmm. No. And I think that's something that's really interesting. There's, there's one of those paintings that is really just kind of like, you know, this kind of like ghostly, almost off white, you know, but you can still kind of, you know, recognize like a hand, you can recognize these eyes. And I think, again, it's really interesting because it kind of allows somebody to kind of think about their, their own place and, you know, maybe thinking about, these uh, different spaces that we might occupy and especially more from your, your perspective, especially too. But again, really interesting stuff. And, you know, again, I can see how that kind of grows into some of the, the more recent work that you went on in terms of pursuing your, your MFA. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Um, how, did, how did you wind up in, in Wisconsin? I'm not totally <laughs> sure, honestly. <laughs> A lot of the faculty at Wisconsin. So it was just awesome to work with people or to learn from people that I just, I, they were just like some of my favorite artists. In undergrad, I had a professor who worked at a university in Wisconsin. As I was finishing undergrad or in my senior year, and I didn't go to, to grad school immediately right afterwards. I think there was like a year or so in between, but I was talking to them about if this was something that that was like possible or like, where do I even begin? Like looking into schools and they recommended Wisconsin and it just sort of, it was just one of those things that kept coming up where I don't know, it was like suddenly maybe because it was on my radar. I just noticed that so many artists that I admire were working in Wisconsin or in the Midwest in general. Mm -hmm. So I sort of just zoned in on a couple schools in Chicago, but also um, at UW Madison and after just like applying to, I guess it was three or four, UW was just the fit, like a, a really good fit. I loved the, not just the professors that were working there, but the other students that I would get to interact with. And I mean, just to be frank, I guess, really great funding too, that, that definitely helps. Sure, sure. Well, it's, it's expensive, you know, and I think that's obviously, again, another tangent, but, you know, something that a lot of... Uh, artists deal with is is debt and you know oftentimes they wind up working wonderfully prestigious jobs like being an adjunct and um <laughs> you know being kind of racked with all of this debt you know so it's nice to have those opportunities and i would imagine kind of just being around not only just the professors but all these different students from you know different schools is also really awesome in, in terms of just you know being around different artists and and artists that work differently from you yeah i loved that what I really enjoyed about um, UW Madison is that their um, the program is pretty interdisciplinary in the sense that they have or just so many fields that you can really specifically study. I don't mean this as to like send any shade or like despair at MSU because they were great, but it's so much smaller. It was like you study painting or sculpture and you know ceramics is there too, but that's about it. Or simplifying it a little bit but in sure. UW Madison they were like we have sculpture but within that there's like woodworking and then you can there's like amazing um like a foundry facilities and so many opportunities to just get very specific with craft and I honestly wish that I had more time to like take a glass blowing class while I was there because it's like where else or when else would I be able to do that but even if I wasn't in those classes or if I didn't like become a glass blowing master while I was at Madison, it was so great to see people around me and my friends just working with so many different mediums that were different than what I usually worked in. It, I feel like it really opened some new doors to just feel more confident in exploring different mediums outside of painting or just trying to find intersections where I think painting kind of blends so well with other mediums. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, one obvious way that that happens in your work is, you know, you start kind of removing, you know, paintings from like uh, supports. So they're, you know, maybe just unstretched paintings or, you know, shaped paintings and then eventually kind of more installation based works. But is there anything that we could kind of highlight to talk about that a little bit? Any experiments that were like, oh, my gosh, I need to be able to consider this aspect than than just that more straight ahead kind of approach? I think what really led me to really think about installation or moving off the canvas a little bit more was just this, in hindsight, I guess it feels so obvious, but I guess the realization that I didn't have to paint or draw on anything that was square or a rectangle, mm -hmm. it was just like, I could just go into a wood shop and 
crank out any shape, something that's completely bizarre. And thinking about that made me think about how these images interact in the space that they get to show in, where maybe instead of having something that's just hung at eye level, I would start thinking about what if this like odd shape was like creeping up from like the bottom of the floor? Or what if these two sort of cloud images could be stacked next to each other? It just felt like it opened these different possibilities and I stopped seeing painting as something that was exclusively just on the wall as an image, but something that could be almost immersive. And I'm still not sure that I'm fully there yet. Honestly, I think when I think about something that would feel immersive, I feel like I would just have to take over like a whole room or I'm not sure I've had that opportunity to do that yet. Mm -hmm. But I just really enjoy the moments of making small, odd shaped pieces that can just be placed in these kind of odd areas of, of a space that we're walking through where we're used to seeing something in a very traditional hung way. But now it's the odd placement kind of starts to spark different connections with the images. Yeah. And it strikes me too, like having this space to kind of be able to work in almost those like fragmented elements of your, your paintings previously, almost kind of, you know, the, the canvas becomes the space, you know, you start having uh, incidents where we'll have like this one piece um, in, in a show that had, you know, come a little bit later uh, where you've got like half a head kind of like along the baseboard of a floor or, you know, like a small like cloud form or table forms. So maybe to get specific, maybe talk a little bit about that, that exhibition um, that you had for your, your MA, I believe. That exhibition was for my MA qualifier. And at the time, I think there were so many things I would change from it. But again, so many things, so many ideas came from it. So I, I really enjoyed it. But it all sort of centered around this very uh, large piece I guess it's also on my website, um, but it was just on this, it was this nine by six foot canvas that was on like torn and it was unstretched canvas. It felt like I wanted to take moments from that, that were inside the image and pull them out and sort of just, like you said, use the space as the canvas itself. But it all really dealt with this idea of a fragmented identity identity that itself wasn't fragmented, but was being constantly seen as something that is separate. The painting that I mentioned that started where the rest of the exhibition stemmed from was sort of made in reaction to the shooting in El Paso in 2019. El Paso is really close to Las Cruces, just like a very short drive. And Las Cruces is a pretty small town. So El Paso is like the place that everyone goes to when you, you know, when you are tired of the small town. Mm-hmm. That shooting, it really just felt like it almost proved the fears and anxieties that I had had about just the way the climate was kind of growing towards. And it felt like things that we were fearing were now very real. And I was having a hard time creating that in one single image or on one canvas. And I guess I recognize now that it's. I don't know, I don't have to put every single thing onto one image and expect something to work, but I really just wanted to pull this imagery out of the canvas and wanted to have audiences sort of be able to reflect on like those figures or that conversation. I wanted the images to be in the same space as the audience, I guess, rather than being in this barrier of um, solely existing on a painting. It's interesting too, because there's the these two little pieces that look like they're, you know, pieced together from different fabrics or different materials. Some of them almost kind of feel very homey, like they're part of like a tablecloth even. And so that's something that kind of becomes interesting to me too, in the sense that we start maybe kind of exploring materials that aren't just traditional, you know, paint on canvas. They kind of seem to kind of invite people to kind of think about those experiences differently, I think, than just something that would be more traditional. At the time, I guess I was really interested in making something feel real and like you said tangible or something that's part of our world rather than um, imagery in that exhibit the paintings were felt like they were like snapshots of memories or like almost like a portal into this liminal space that I've talked about but then these pieces that were made with these um, nostalgic kind of fabrics or these found pieces something things that reminded me of home all just felt like they were 
like artifacts or relics from the worlds that I was creating in the paintings. Yeah. And, you know, something that we haven't really talked about, too, is process. So, you know, relative to some of these works, are you kind of like writing things down, observations? Are they starting out as like sketches in a sketchbook? Or are you somebody that, you know, just starts kind of making something and then kind of like figuring out what it's saying as, as you're kind of working through it? I think it's usually the latter. That process has been changing. I think I used to just treat the canvas itself as a sketchbook and that's how things like start to kind of get pushed back and or pull things forward and where this imagery starts to feel kind of layered in a way and then I just I don't know I guess realizing that when I work with wood or like with these fabrics I don't know you can't just like paint over any mistakes Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I definitely started planning things out a little bit more these artifacts that feel like they come out of the paintings that are made with found fabrics they don't feel as intuitive as the paintings do where when I'm painting, it's usually just, I don't just every day, just try to add something new, build up the, build up the surface until it just feels somewhat cohesive and complete. But the fabric pieces especially still carries just something that feels very personal where even though they might not be intuitive, but the fabrics that I'm using are things that you would see around, around someone's home or things that I saw around my home. But I think these like patterns and textiles are so universal that people see that and can immediately start to see some nostalgic sentiments in a way. Mm-hmm. While those objects are a little bit more thought out, it's definitely feels, it's almost kind of magpie-like, I guess. Someone told me that my work was like like that because I'll just go around and like make a mental note or just basically like steal these patterns or, you know, just walking by like a thrift store and I'll see this old tablecloth and it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a good, that's a good tablecloth. I don't know when I'll use it, but I'm taking it. Or while I was at UW-Madison, I got to work with a really great uh, professor and artist, Carolyn Callenborn, who makes these like wonderful fabric or textile pieces, but she just had like this giant supply of small fabric scraps that had gone through so many other artists because you know it's like I don't know how many people would just pass on their scraps to someone else and that becomes scraps so they pass it on to someone else I kind of love the idea of these used objects having their own histories that I that I get to add on to rather than just creating something on its own the way you do with a painting it was really lovely to think about how these fabrics that I'm using carry like that nostalgic sentiment for myself, but then they've also physically been in the hands of, I don't know how many other people. And that's something that I just really enjoyed thinking about. Yeah. It seems to kind of like add to that almost narrative element or, you know, allow people in a weird way, like into the work in a a way that it hadn't before, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm glad that it makes sense that way because I think at the time while I was working in <laughs> that ex- that show that we were talking about, it was just like a million ideas and like shots being fired all around. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But I don't know, at the time it just felt like craziness. So I'm glad that it somehow came together and feels a little bit cohesive. Yeah, well, and it's interesting to think about that relative to some of the work that comes after because and maybe you could kind of, you know, explain a little bit too in terms of like pursuing your MFA. I'm assuming that, that that's something that came after, but then, you know, your work for that exhibition by comparison is, is seems a bit more focused, which, you know, makes sense given a timeline. Like you're saying, I think there's, you know, a lot of times where a lot of artists can kind of feel like, oh my gosh, everything is just kind of scattershot. You're trying out all these things, but this definitely feels like a very kind of refined and very specific approach to the to the show for no man's land absolutely i just learned to approach a project as something that didn't have to depict every thought i've ever had i guess or that's how i felt with um the earlier exhibit we were talking about where it's everything had to be connected and every and i had to i was just so interested in experimenting with these new techniques but moving on to the mfa thesis show I felt like I explored all the things I wanted to explore earlier. So now I could pick and choose on what I really wanted to focus on. But honestly, I think something that really influenced that was just, you know, the onset of the pandemic. We we talked a little bit earlier about how we just had to like adapt to like this new normal or we're not sure what normal is. Mm -hmm. But when 
when like in the middle of the semester, when we all just were just got this email that was like, all right, we're going to have to pack up your studios. I'm not going to be in person, work from home. I guess I really took for granted access to a studio or access where I could just have space to make a painting that was like nine by six feet. So you could just throw anything you wanted at that painting and make it all fit. But suddenly I was working in a pretty small apartment. So I I just was making these paintings where I was going from, like I said, like nine by six feet to suddenly something that was 11 by 14 inches. At first it was kind of I mean, I felt really lost in that small space, but then it, there was something that felt almost meditative or relaxing in being able to focus on isolated moments. I tried to see it as just taking bits and pieces from the big paintings I had made and then just like zooming in on them and creating small compositions from that. Learning how to focus, I guess, because of that did allow me to make my thoughts less generalized and more specific. And so in a way, I guess talking about silver linings, that was a small silver lining from just having to work from home very, very suddenly because that big shift did allow me to just think about what was unnecessary in the work and how could I focus on things that I was most interested in. Were you doing like Zoom calls then with your committee to kind of, you know, review stuff that you were doing or is it something where you kind of had more free reign or... Yeah, we, I mean, I definitely had Zoom calls and I had a great class where it was just a a lot of students in the department where we could all just um, create our work together and share, share like a different person's work every week. But it did still feel like I had a lot of free reign. I remember just actually when the pandemic hit, I had just finished that MA qualifier thesis exhibition that we talked about earlier where like there were like it was this big painting and then fabric pieces. And then it was just felt like I had barely started to breathe or like think about where I wanted to go from that when we just made this sudden shift to be at home. So the next meeting that I had with professors was just so different where I think they were used to seeing these very large, vibrant, colorful paintings. And then I just popped up on a screen with these small drawings that were just that only had like red pencil in it. And it just felt like such a big shift, but everyone was really supportive of it. It was just like, Hey, that's, that's really cool. Like Mm -hmm. it's so bizarre to be making work in this, in this time. So I think all my professors were just saying, you know, as long as you can do something, as long as you can keep that creative practice going, you know, that's better than nothing. So keep it going. So I just had this free reign to just completely shift from what I was doing and start working on these small paintings or small drawings that were focusing in on not this giant umbrella narrative of liminal spaces, but like very specific stories or moments. Yeah. And maybe is there a way to kind of maybe highlight one of them or a couple of them? I mean, again, kind of get a sensation of obviously like qualities of maps, you know, and you can kind of think about your journey from where you're from, but obviously you're, you know, you're up in Wisconsin at the same time too. But was that kind of like, you know, thinking about it in terms of kind of almost creating a maps as like a metaphor for that or... Or if we're talking about specific moments, something that I really honed in on in these small drawings of maps that later turned out to be a little bit bigger. But when I started them, they were like postcards. But I just became really interested in this story of St. Patrick's Battalion or Los Patricios. The story of St. Patrick's Battalion was something that I just grew up hearing. And I always felt just kind of connected to these like strange soldiers that I've never really met. Mm -hmm. They were this battalion of about like 200 or so men fighting on the American side of the U.S. and and Mexico War from 1846 to 48. But it was this battalion that that primarily consisted of Irish immigrants. Although, as I understand, there were also like many other European immigrants. But for some reason, so many of them in that battalion were from Ireland. Until recently, a lot of history books didn't really um, give them a lot of credit or if when they talked about them, they were just described as like these drunk deserters who like were un-American. But recently, like a lot of books have sort of gone into that and offered like a little bit more light. I see them as like these underdogs, but this battalion of primarily Irish immigrants who were new to the U.S. and in order to gain citizenship 
were fighting for the country that was very, very new to them. And many of them described feeling very discriminated or separated from um, their other American soldiers. Mm -hmm. So when they actually like get to the front lines in Mexico, this like sort of small revolution starts happening where they realize that as Irish immigrants, they were so often discriminated for being Catholic. And they realized that when they were like fighting Mexico, they would be like fighting other Catholics themselves. So they seem to have like this crisis of faith where they were just like, I, what am I doing? Like fighting here? I can't handle this. So they actually like deserted their positions in the U.S. military and started fighting for Mexico. So in Mexico, there's like um, nice statues about them dedicated to them or they're like given like a really nice moment where their sacrifice is kind of honored. They willingly and knowingly went to a side that they knew was going to lose. But in the U.S., so many history books paint them as just, you know, traitors, deserters. Mm -hmm. But I always had a lot of empathy or sympathy hearing that story, even though as a child, I didn't really fully understand like the context, but it just seemed like a precedent where someone with like my ethnicity as coming from like a Mexican immigrant, but then an, um, an Irish American family could just be blended. Or it just felt like that was a weird moment where my personal life was intersecting with this history. And I always liked those hearing the stories from it. I really like um, just hearing so many stories from like the history of the Southwest in general, but realizing that I didn't have to make this generalized work, it was really satisfying to just focus in on that story in particular and pick out these moments or keep looking throughout history where my perceptions of like memories or my personal narratives just seem to mirror or mimic these moments throughout history. And I started creating these maps inspired by like some of the paths that St. Patrick's Battalion would have taken, grew into this idea of making maps to find my way home, where I would like just kind of draw these like geographical markers. But again, it's not like a very accurate map, I guess, if mm -hmm. anyone tried to follow it, they'd be very lost. <laughs> sure. But these markers that don't only show parts of a physical landscape, but like these cultural landmarks, I guess, or these icons that are so specific to Mexican or Chicano families, but then also Irish families, and how there are so many moments where those connect and feel very similar. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's something that also kind of seems to translate into these flags as well. You know, I believe there's even one that kind of has aspects of those uh, topographical maps, but maybe maybe talk a little bit about those in, in terms of, I guess th those are kind of like signifiers, I'm assuming then for that idea, right, of, of trying to find a way home or, you know, thinking about how ambiguous that could be. Definitely. I think the maps um, really just allowed me to like explore a more specific connection to land and identity and the way we just really tend to get attached or or I get to get attached, I guess. It's so easy for specific places to shape our identities. But I also or wanted to depict work that wasn't exclusively like a national identity. When again, when you are so close to living on the border, I guess you are really comfortable with the notion that in El Paso and Juarez are not really separate cities on either side of a border, but it's just one you know, borderplex, one economy, um, one culture that is completely connected and is only separated by a physical boundary, but really nothing else. So I like the idea of creating these maps that don't really acknowledge those borders. And after realizing that, or after like illustrating that, I really just wanted to create flags in a paradox, you know, a flag for a land that doesn't acknowledge borders or a flag for myself, flag for St. Patrick's Battalion and just create like, I think there were five flags that all tie into that idea of simultaneously like moving away from like a national identity and having the power to sort of create your own or like imagine a future even where borders might not exist. Yeah, again, it's really interesting to see how these pieces come together. And even those elements too, those like almost iconographic elements of the painting still um, with regards to the the other piece that was in the show, which is the kind of like silhouetted, you know, almost cloud painting figure with these cloud forms. 
I guess I'm honestly just very obsessed with like these images of skies and clouds. Mm-hmm. I think it's so recognizable or iconic of the Southwest where when you see these, they're very cheesy, but also very beautiful. So it's like a love hate thing of these like nostalgic landscape paintings of the Southwest. When you look at so many of them, you'll see that they're not really about the land itself, but there's just so much sky in those images. The sky of the Southwest really does feel unique because it's it's like a high elevation and like this very drastic terrain where we'll go from extreme mountains to just flat plains. So we can just have this beautiful, large open sky that's almost unobstructed with these deep, deep blues. And I just love the idea of the sky being something that, while I recognize that air spaces are very real to us, but the sky doesn't really acknowledge the physical borders or boundaries that we acknowledge here on land. Mm-hmm. So I love the idea of bringing those elements or having that as uh, this like repeated motif in my work. Like the sky is something that, like I said, doesn't really acknowledge these boundaries, but it's also something that has so much potential and it feels so personal. I like, I just was talking about how like, I love the skies in the Southwest, but I, um, being in the Midwest too, so many people share would talk about it the same way where they say the sunsets here are beautiful and because they are, but everyone seems to, or so many people seem to have like this very personal connection to the skies that they grew up in. So it's something that's individual, but also just massive and like collective. It just feels like it carried so much like poetic meaning. And I just love sprinkling that in wherever I can in the work. Well, yeah, and, and it seems like, too, by kind of having that silhouette be included in there, it kind of allows, again, people a way in, you know, to kind of think about these these places and these maps, these drawings, these flags. And, again, I do like that idea because I'm, of course, looking outside right now, and I'm just like, wow, there's no clouds, but it's blue. It hasn't, hasn't been gray for a day for, you know, <laughs> for once this week. <laughs> but I think that's something that you know, becomes very universal too, which is, you know, something that I think works out very successful for it. So, and it seems like then the cool thing is you were able to, to actually stage this exhibition then too. Um, was that something that was like, people could actually come and see it or was that something where, you know, because of the pandemic, people couldn't. It felt pretty solitary because of the pandemic people, not too many people could really see it. I was allowed to bring a few of my classmates in for my course, obviously like professors could see it. But it wasn't something that was open to the public. The graduating class before me who like really just probably were like slapped in the face with the pandemic. So many people, I think, actually had to postpone their shows or not actually be able to set up their work in a physical space at all. So at the time, I I wasn't sure if I would be able to set anything up. So the fact that I just had a space that I could put these flags and maps up in there it was almost like I couldn't believe it or maybe like you kind of mentioned earlier where we're just sort of expecting plans to change at any given moment. Mm-hmm. It almost felt like too good to be true where it was like, will I be able to set it up? Do I have the space? So I was just really happy to be able to do that in such a large space. That particular gallery at UW-Madison is called the Backspace Gallery. And it's basically just like a giant warehouse, but and then it ended up being really perfect to show those flags up in because I think they really needed a lot of air around them. Yeah, absolutely. To kind of think about where you're at now, I mean, what, what happened after this experience? You wound up um, moving back to, to New Mexico? Yeah, I went back to New Mexico. I guess I decided I didn't want to go through like another Midwest winter. <laughs> it's been really nice to be closer closer to family, on both sides of the border here after being away for so long. But I think after just really honing in on the specific things that interest me or realizing how much this place here impacts the work, it felt like I really had to be back for a minute to sort of unpack some more ideas. Mm -hmm. So coming back, I've been able to teach part-time as an adjunct faculty at New Mexico State University, which is my undergrad. So it feels like a full circle thing, but it's just been good to just explore continuing those ideas for my thesis and still be teaching in a place that, you know, just feels just is home, I guess, and be back in a place that influenced the work so much. 
Yeah, yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, you also have um, work in an exhibition in Tennessee, I think through March. So maybe tell us a little bit about, about that show and, and what's what's being shown there. Yeah, absolutely. I love the premise of the of the show. It's at Stay Home Gallery in, Pen- in Paris, Tennessee. And I wish I could be there in person. I wish traveling was a little bit easier right now. But the curators, Kaylon and Pam, made this exhibit that was just centered around artworks that are not not exclusively seen, but things that can be really interacted with. And they're doing this in a pretty safe way, too, so everyone can come in and is like constantly basically sanitizing their hands Mm -hmm. and trying not to touch things too much and with like limited entries, I believe. But in that show, I have two pieces. One of them is a box, a small wooden box, very much like the size of a music box that was in my MA qualifier thesis. Uh, it's a cherry box. When you open it, you're, you're like immediately blasted with this, um, with a small part of a song, uh, Cielito Lindo, which just translates to Sweet Little Skies, going back to the skies again. Mm-hmm. When you open the box, you have that song just blasting you but there is an image of a sky but also just a carved snake in there where i was just sort of borrowing imagery imagery that's really common in mexico and the other piece i have in there has one of like the longest titles i've ever like named anything but i call it the impossibility of holding something that cannot be contained Mm -hmm. it's a puzzle, a small puzzle that's around like 10 by 10 inches or so, or maybe that's actually wrong. Maybe it's 11. <laughs> this puzzle of, again, a blue sky. So uh, audiences are encouraged to, you know, open the box, listen to the music, but then go over to this puzzle and just play around, put the puzzle together or take it apart. But it's again, playing with this idea that this, this sky is something that's like massive and vast and it feels endless, but at the same time, so personal. What I really like about it is that these are pieces that can be interacted with and they feel like they can just belong in a home somewhere rather than just existing in a gallery somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would imagine then you've been making, you know, a lot of work and applying to a lot of shows and thinking about the future as well. Are there any things up on the horizon that are, you know, particularly exciting to think about or share? Yeah, I think it's a big transition of moving outside of school is just being on that constant grind, I guess, of always being on the lookout to apply for things. And it's funny how so many different areas will have different tempos. Whereas I'll apply to something and it's just within a week, it's like, great, ship your work, get it here, like fast. But then other spaces are like, awesome, now this has happened in two years, so just sit tight (laughs) for now. (laughs) But I'm really excited to be part of a show at the local museum actually here, the Las Cruces Museum of Art in 2023 is going to have this pretty large exhibit showcasing works of artists on the border which is one of the first times that the museum here has really honed in on something that feels so relevant to us here. But it's, I'm, I'm just very excited about it to have like a large museum show, but also because it's at a show that's, you know, in my hometown, something that just feels very personal, or it's nice to be able to share work with the community that I had in mind when I was making it. So that won't be for a while, but I'm looking forward to it. And that's, that'll be what I'll be working towards throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, just maybe take a second and remind everybody, I'm assuming that, you know, you're active on Instagram, you're showing stuff there, but then you know, maybe just plug those websites and, and where people could find your work. Absolutely. I think you could find my work easiest on Instagram because I'm on that pretty often too much than I need to be, but that's <laughs> E dot g flynn flynn is f-l-y-n-n and you mentioned my website earlier my work is definitely up there i should update it more but <laughs> some recent stuff is there at my name evagabriella.com and i also i'm represented by a really great gallery in princeton wisconsin they're called levy contemporary they feature so many great artists there and they always have an awesome exhibit up but you can find them online through their website looking up levy contemporary they're also on instagram for those like constant 
updates or like if you just want a feed flooded with art that they're a great page to follow it's so nice to know that there's so many other places to be able to find work and kind of like as you're saying i i kind of you know keep following more and more people just to kind of have my instagram algorithm flooded with great work so i hope people check that out and make sure to follow again i really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me and and especially to talk all about your work it's been really fun to to learn more and you know, just really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here as well. This was really fun. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks so much to Eva for joining me. You can check out her work in person in the exhibition Warmth that's at Stay at Home Gallery in Paris, Tennessee, and it runs through March 6th. You can also find the online show Rays at Stay at Home Gallery that'll be linked in our post. There's work there to check out, so do that as well. There's available work at Levy Contemporary in Wisconsin. And, of course, you can find more at evagabriella.com. And lastly, just remember to follow her on Instagram. She has an upcoming museum show at Las Cruces Museum of Art in August of 2023. So be sure to follow her on Instagram for dates on that and to see what's going on. Her Instagram is at e.gflynn. Be sure to follow and say hello. If you're new to the podcast, please remember we've got a big archive of episodes available on studiobreak.com. Each of those posts have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and of course, you can listen to those interviews right on studiobreak.com, or you can click that link and subscribe to the podcast, so that way you've always got something to listen to and keep your mind busy while you're working away in the studio. Some recent episodes include UK artist Rupert Hartley for episode 274. Episode 273 featured Sharbanu Hamza, who's an Iranian artist. And a special highlight here for Erica B. Hess. You've likely heard of I Like Your Work podcast. She was our guest for episode 266. And we talk all about her work. She recently had an exhibition open up at Marietta College. It's called How Long Has It Been Since You've Been Outside, and that's running through April 14th, so check that out if you're in Georgia. Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow, which features myself on guitar, Ben Cohan on drums, and Brett Beery on bass. If you want to check out some music, be sure to follow Brett on Instagram, that's at Brett Beery, and you can find a link there to his albums that are available on Bandcamp. If you want to see some of Ben's paintings, it's at M. Ben Cohan Studio on Instagram. And of course, if you want to see some of mine, go on over to davidlinaway.com. There's lots of work available there. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at David Linaway. And of course, I always love hearing from folks, so be sure and say hello, especially on Instagram. Of course, you want to make sure to follow Studio Break as well. So be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, on Instagram, Take some time and give us a shout out. That's at studio underscore break. Always great hearing from listeners, especially if you enjoyed an episode. So don't be shy, all right? And we made it to the end once again of another episode. Really hope that you enjoyed listening today. Hope you are staying safe out there and super productive. Everything's going awesome. And again, really appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you real soon.